Hey guys, welcome to The Nursing Co-op. I am so excited that you're here. On this podcast, our goal is to build your confidence, expand your knowledge, and create a supportive, cooperative community for nurses, one nurse at a time. My name's Ashley. I'm a registered nurse on an intensive care unit in the first year of my career. In our time together, I hope to share my experiences, provide you with resources, and create a space where you can find your footing as a nurse without judgment. We will unravel nursing topics and make connections with amazing guests to give you all the tools that you need to build an incredible life and career. I believe it takes a village to build a strong nurse. We are your village. This is the Nursing Co-op. Hey guys, welcome back. So this week, I wanted to do kind of a little quick episode. I know I always say that it's probably still going to end up being like 20 minutes, but we'll see how long it ends up being. But I wanted to do a quick episode on one of my favorite happy patient outcomes. In the ICU, a lot of times I think we we remember the, the hard ones. And I mean... It's, it's intensive care. We lose a lot of our patients. And so it's, it's really special when you have a positive outcome that you didn't expect. Sometimes when I have a really rough day, I still think back to this patient. Um, I think he, he really ended up having quite an impact on my nursing career just because I, I didn't think he was going to get better. None of us thought he would get better. And spoiler... <laughs> He, he does. He recovers. So I'm just going to dive in. I'm going to kind of give you guys some background on what happened and, and kind of where we were at. So this patient was a 42-year-old father of three, happily married. So he was at home and was on vacation. And his kids were on vacation as well. And he was tired. And so he decided he was going to take a nap in the middle of the day. However long later, an hour or so probably, one of his kids went to try and wake him up because they had some sort of question for him about a game or something like that. And they found him on the bed and they couldn't, the kid couldn't wake him up. So they got mom. She came in, found him unresponsive. But this guy was super tall, like super strong big guy. So she could not could not get him off of the bed on her own. So she had to jump in and try and do CPR on the bed, which, you know, we hear this in report and we're like, oh no, because the quality of that CPR is going to be very low. And this is when we worry about brain perfusion. And that's kind of where our heads were at. So she calls 911, but is trying to do CPR on the bed. They come in pretty quickly within a few minutes or so. And EMS takes him, gives him, you know, ACLS drugs, a few rounds of compressions, and they brought him back. They achieved what we call ROSC, return of spontaneous circulation, within a few minutes. But it's hard to know how long he was out. So that's kind of where our heads were at as we got this report. So he was brought to TMC, the hospital where I work, he was brought in for targeted, targeted temperature management, what we call TTM, used to be called therapeutic hypothermia. So the plan was to start him on TTM to give his brain a chance to rest. 
So right here, I kind of want to give you guys a little brief description of what TTM actually is. I know that when I first heard it, you know, I, I think we talked about it probably in nursing school, but it was, I'm sure, a brief moment. Critical care was not always the focus in nursing school, just because I think not everyone kind of goes there initially. So they focused a lot on like the med search topics. Um, so I didn't know a lot about TTM when I first started, but for some reason as a student, I had like four or five TTM patients. I just always seemed to get them. And I actually really, it's a fascinating patient for me. So I I like the process of figuring out TTM and all of that. But so I'm going to give you guys a brief description. Potentially in a future episode, we can do a deep dive into TTM because there's a lot that goes into the hemodynamics, the pathophysiology, all the things that are going on when you choose to put a patient on targeted temperature management or therapeutic hypothermia. So essentially, TTM is intended to decrease damage to the brain cells. It gives the brain a chance to rest, essentially, by decreasing the brain and the body's metabolic activity. So your brain doesn't have to work as hard at baseline, and it allows for healing and recovery. That's kind of the point. Now, there's a number of indications for TTM, number of reasons why we put patients on TTM. The majority of the ones that I've seen are when a patient essentially had cardiac arrest and eventually achieved ROSC, return of spontaneous circulation. And then we put them on TTM to give them their body a chance, their body and their brain a chance to rest before we wake them back up. This can also be used in cases like with increased intracranial pressure, if there's high ICP after heart surgery, if they need it, or major spinal injuries, things like that. The, The time I've seen it, as I said, every single time I've seen it is when a patient has cardiac arrest essentially outside of the hospital and it takes them a while to gain ROSC, or we just don't know how long they were out. So f- for that reason, we want to give them every chance that we they can to recover. So by initiating TTM, there's a number of things that, that help the body. So it will decrease inter- increased intracranial pressure. It's going to decrease heart rate, so the heart's not working as hard. And as we said, it's going to decrease the amount of oxygen that the brain requires, which allows the body to heal. That doesn't have to work as hard. So the brain's, brain's metabolic activity decreases, doesn't eat as much oxygen, and things can rest, and hopefully more damage does not occur. There are three phases of TTM. So the first one is cooling. So we get a patient, and we use um, a device called the Arctic Sun that has these kind of gel pads that you put on the patient. You get the right size for the patient. You put them on. It covers a lot, most of their body surface. And there's a, there's a water that circulates through these tubes and through these pads that you set to a specific temperature and it cools their body. And so that's the cooling phase. We put those pads on and use the cooling phase. Now you, old school way, they used to infuse like ice cold fluids they used to do like ice lavages, all kinds of things like that. I have we only use the Arctic Sun because I think it's the easiest way to regulate the temperature. It's a safe way to do it, so we always use Arctic Sun. And I'm going to imagine you guys might run into this device as well in the field. You're not going to see a lot of 
infusing ice cold fluids or using cooling catheters or anything like that. So you cool them to a specific temperature and you keep them there for a specific amount of time. It's usually around 24 or more hours. Your, your hospital is going to have a policy on this. After you've reached that time period at the specific temperature, you're going to rewarm. That's the second phase where you're bringing their body temperature back to a normal temperature, usually 37 degrees Celsius. And then you have the phase once they've reached normothermia. Once, once they've reached a normal temperature, that's the third phase. So these patients often, like in my hospital, it's a one-to-one patient, especially when you're doing the cooling phase, until they're rewarmed. They are, you have one nurse to one patient because there's a lot of work that goes into caring for a patient on TTM. They require hourly tasks um, from everything from just monitoring hemodynamics to blood sugars, all kinds of things. So while they're with us, especially when they're cooling, they usually have an A-line. We want constant measuring of their blood pressure. We want second-by-second measures. We want constant cardiac monitoring. So cooling a patient can have an impact on all of these things, right? You want to make sure that they're not getting too hypotensive. You want to make sure that the heart rate doesn't go down too much because the body's not working as hard, so things are going to slow. They have labs that you have to do every so often, so there's specific hourly or every four hours, every two hours, there's different labs that you have to do. There's a whole protocol. Honestly, every single time I have a TTM patient, I print it out because it is complex, all the things that you kind of have to monitor. So labs are significantly impacted when you're doing this to the body, especially things like potassium, things like glucose. So especially for glucose, we are doing finger stick checks every single hour. There's, depending on what phase of TTM the patient's in, so in the cooling phase and when we're keeping them at that cold temperature, they are at risk for hyperglycemia, and then they're at risk for hypoglycemia once we rewarm. So you have to monitor it really closely to make sure that those things don't happen. Obviously, these patients are intubated, so we have to monitor their ventilator as well. They can be on things like CRRT, so continuous renal replacement therapy, if they need that. They, they're more prone to infection, so we have to make sure that our you know, infection control measures are you know, very up to par. They're at higher risk for bleeding. We have to watch for things like shivering. It's, it's a huge task. Now, the shivering piece is one. So the reason we don't want them to shiver is because when you shiver, your body's working harder. So if they start to shiver, there's a whole protocol that goes along with shivering. So they, we give them Tylenol. We see if that works. There's a, there's a bunch of things that will occur. And I know it kind of sounds counterintuitive, sort of. Why are they shivering? Um, and oftentimes, you can see that the patient is spiking a fever, even though you're trying to control their temperature, because you can mo- you monitor the temperature of the water and the temperature of the patient. So even if the water is kind of close to the temperature you want, you might see that the water temperature is a lot lower, meaning that the water has to cool down because the patient's so hot, it's having a hard time trying to cool the patient. So it can only cool so much. 
So if we see that, we have to monitor the water temperature closely and we need to tell the physician because they're probably trying to spike a fever underneath all of this effort to kind of keep them cool. And, you know, that's one aspect of shivering. But in general, we don't want them to shiver because we don't want their body to work hard. That's counterintuitive here. So we will give them things like Tylenol. They'll get sedation. And at a certain point, if they continue to shiver, they will get paralytics. And then you have to worry about monitoring the, the biz for the sedation. You want to monitor the train of four for paralytics. And I know those terms, I don't know if all of you know those terms, but we can do a kind of a deep dive into paralytics and all of that in a future episode as well, because that's a complex topic. So you have to monitor all of these things while they're cooled, especially, and then in the rewarming phase as well. So they are very in-depth patients. And then once we rewarm, we want to assess their neurostatus. That's the big concern here is that when they had cardiac arrest, depending on how long they were out, that they had irreparable brain damage. That's what we don't know until we rewarm. And honestly, on almost every single one of my TTM patients, after we've rewarmed, we've found that they have had brain death and we usually will end up transitioning to comfort care and allowing the patient to die peacefully. That's usually the, the point that we get to with most of these patients once the family can kind of see that they're not there anymore. We do a number of tests to ensure that they are actually brain, brain dead. We bring in neurology, they get a CT, they get an MRI, they get all the stuff, an EEG, everything to try and make sure that they are actually brain dead. And honestly, as I said, most of my patients that I've had on TTM, that's their outcome. So with this specific patient, we did our cooling and we had a bunch of issues with him shivering. He was a, he was a complex patient, but we rewarmed. And during that initial rewarm, there was really nothing. We were kind of just sitting, waiting. We talked to the wife. We tried to have a very realistic conversation with her about how this might turn out, the possible outcomes. And we were already having these conversations. Our palliative care team was already on board. But she was she was still really hopeful. She was clinging to hope. You know, 42-year-old, dad of three, I would cling to hope too. And unfortunately, it was, it was sad because her family, understandably as well, they were trying to give her realistic expectations, but kept sending her articles about brain death. And so she was really hurting. She was really struggling, but was trying to be so hopeful in all of this. And honestly, we would talk to her and, you know, reassure her, leave the room. And as nurses would talk and be like, this guy's not, he's not going to make it. It's so sad, but there's no way he's going to wake up. I remember us talking about it being like, there's no way. And even if he did wake up, we thought he's going to major deficits. So we, we really didn't have a super positive outlook on how this might go just because we've seen so many times this process and that and the outcome that's going to happen. But then it was, I think the next morning she came out of the room and she was like, Hey, he moved, he moved his head. And in our heads were like, maybe it was like a reflex. Maybe she just thought she saw something. There's no way he moved his head. We went in, checked him out and he moved his head. He did. And it was quickly progressing from moving his head, opening his eyes, following commands, 
being panicked, but breathing on his own, breathing over the vent. Doctor came in. I said, hey, he's waking up. Doctor came in and is like, well, let's extubate. <laughs> Extubated, breathing on his own, very quickly pro- progressed to complete panic. Got aggressive, terrified, delirious, full-on delirium. Understandably, he lost a lot of time. So we had to restrain him. And he was so he was so terrified. Kept calling out for his wife, like, help me, please. It was so sad to see, but she was like trying to reassure him, just be like, calm down, it's okay, you're safe. It wasn't wasn't helping. So we actually had to give him um, a dose of Haldol. And once we gave him the Haldol, once that kind of kicked in, he chilled out and took essentially a Haldol nap for, I don't know, an hour or two. And then the wife came out and was like, hey, I think he's waking up. Went into the room, saw him, and he was, it was like a switch was flipped. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I walked into the room and there's just this normal 42-year-old man sitting there. Like, what happened? That's what he asked me. What happened? What day is it? And I explained everything. And obviously, he still had some confusion, was definitely not completely with it, but was totally calm. We got him sitting up in bed. That's all he wanted. And he just had this huge grin on his face sitting next to his wife. It was, we were amazed. I have never seen TTM work that quickly and and see a, a patient recover in that way that fast. I mean, he's young. He's got his youth on his side, but still, I mean, we don't know how long he was out. He had poor quality CPR initially. Like we were like, there's no way. And this guy just completely woke up. It was a beautiful story. Wife is crying. And I mean, from there, the the whole goal then became, let's figure out what happened. Let's figure out why you your heart stopped. You're 42. You have no history. This makes no sense. Definitely, he said, I think his history was anxiety. That's what his wife said. That was it. And once he woke up, he explained that, you know, a few days prior to this cardiac arrest, that he was, he was having some, you know, feelings of like panic and that he had called his, his dad and was, was like, you know, I'm feeling very like, you know, some tightness in my chest. Like I'm so scared. Like I'm, I feel panicked. And that's what they just, that's what they decided it was. It was a panic attack. It was nervousness, anxiety. He was like, just relax, take your, you know, medication, and, and you'll be okay. And obviously that's not what happened, but we found that out after. So we're like, how long was this actually going on that he was maybe having some sort of cardiac event? Once the patient can wake up and once we can piece the story all together, that's when you start to figure out that mystery. So that became the new goal at that point. So, I mean, after that day, I think he was in the ICU for another few days, still going through the delirium needed a couple doses of some antipsychotic medications in between here and there to kind of get him back. And that's common as well. ICU delirium is very real, especially when you've lost a bunch of time. Um, it makes perfect sense. He was on sedation medication. All of that can, can super contribute to ICU delirium. So once he kind of got through that, his ICU, he didn't have ICU needs anymore. He was breathing on room air. He was doing great. We sent him to the cardiac floor, and that's where they kind of continued testing. And the last that I had heard, 
he had discharged home and had a cardiologist following him and they were just figuring out what he needed to do in the future to avoid this happening, figure out if he had any underlying heart failure, things like that. Unfortunately, once they leave me, I don't get to see the day by day. I don't get to see everything that happens. I just try and hear about it. But the, he definitely had a positive outcome, his home with his family, home with his wife. And I don't know, that, that one I always go back to because it, it amazed me, I think was the coolest part about that story is I was so sure about what outcome we were going to reach because I had seen this time and time again. And this patient surprised me. He made a full recovery you know, he still has these cardiac issues, but I mean, from where he was to where he ended up, it's incredible to have him be awake, talk to his wife, see his kids, go back home to his kids. Now he can just be a father of three with some heart issues. I don't know. That one, that one's still my favorite patient story, I think. It was, it just like warmed my heart. It was something I had to tell. I feel like I've told so many people this story because it had such an impact on me. As I said, in the ICU, sometimes we don't see a lot of positives. So when we get them, you got to hang on to them. You got to tell the world about them. And those are the stories that you have to remember. If you remember all the bad ones, you're going to get burnt out in like two seconds. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this patient story. Um, It's definitely my favorite. In nursing in general, you're going to hear a lot of negative stories. You're going to see a lot of negative outcomes. But by focusing on the positive, you're going to have a much better nursing experience and combat burnout. I mean, that's, that's what we have to do. This is a high burnout profession because we see so much and we see things go poorly We see patients not take care of themselves and end up back in the hospital. We see the people who are there all the time. And sometimes it's easy to to get jaded, to get burnt out, so that things don't impact you the same way they used to, that it doesn't bother you as much as it used to. And in some ways, that's a thicker skin that you build. But you got to make sure that you're also still being human and feeling the feels, feeling the good stuff. And, And when things are bad, feeling that too talking about it, venting about it, and getting through it. So when I feel negative, this is a story that I often go back to. When I'm feeling like, why am I doing this? This is, I'm not helping anyone. I'm actually hurting people. I come back to stories like this one, where I actually help someone. And that's, that's a whole other topic as well. Sometimes in nursing, I don't know, in the ICU, especially, I feel like I've there have been days where I'm like, am I actually making a positive impact on people? I'm keeping, you know, this 98-year-old man alive because the family isn't ready to let go, but he's suffering. He's not really there. He's ready to, to pass, and I have to keep him alive because we're not ready to say goodbye. There are, there are times like that where I'm just like, am I actually helping? And when I start to feel like that, these are the stories that I go back to. I remember the times that I helped And I know that I helped. I know that we helped save him. So keep these stories. Make a bank of your 
positive stories. And they might be when you were a student. They might be when you first started out. They might be when you were working as a tech during nursing school. It doesn't matter. But remember the positive patients and the positive cases that you have. They're going to save you in your career. And in general, we like to be positive around here. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you have a positive day, and I hope this sets you up to have a positive day. I'm so excited for so many of you that are going to be starting your careers here soon, finishing up the NCLEX, starting out your career. It's, you're going to do amazing things, as I always say. And we get to work side by side in the field. Like, how cool is that? I can't wait to be coworkers. If you guys have any other questions on this episode, if you liked this episode, please let me know. Um, If you want to learn more about things like TTM, I'm happy to do a deep dive. It's one of the topics that I really enjoy. So we'll plan that for the future. And also just look out, guys. We're going to have a couple guests on here soon. I'm really excited about. And we're going to have some awesome episodes coming up in the future. If you guys have any suggestions, always feel free to reach out. Message me on Instagram. I love, love hearing from you guys. That's my favorite part of all of this. And that's the whole reason why I do it. So keep reaching out. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you guys continue to have a beautiful week. Stay positive. Thank you so much for spending some time with me and our community in the nursing co-op. If you liked this episode and found some value in the content, please share it with any and all of your nursing friends on social media and tag me at the nursing co-op so I can thank you personally. That way, we can continue to build this community and change nursing culture for the better. I can't wait to see what we create. I will see you next week, but until then, happy nursing.